Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Scripture reading this morning is from 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 13 through 17. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Amen. Okay, thank you for the birthday wishes, Eric, and uh, it's been actually really fun being up here. Almost after every song, everybody wants to clap, so let's all clap for, for being back, guys. We are, we are back. This is, there we go, there's, that's the clap. There, um, it's not been easy, as you know, We're, we've always been an intergenerational church. We, uh, some of the, our generations are all with us today because we do not have children's church. We're really glad Everybody is here, and um, it's just glad to be together again. So thank you guys for, for coming out. We're doing it as safe and as, as effective as possible. Um, we're going to have sign-ups every week. We're going to um, do this every week that we can. So uh, let me give you real quickly a, a quick update uh, about what's happened. One year ago in New York City, we had a shutdown due to um, COVID. We had like a small time in the fall where we were able to kind of uh, come back for a short amount of time. But... None of us, I don't think, really fully grasps the um, devastating impact that COVID would actually have over the past year. Just reflecting myself, it, it's, it's been devastating, but we don't, I don't think a year ago we understood that. What we did know is it was going to definitely impact uh, some people uh, worse than others, and that is why we reopened our disaster relief fund, which actually, um, we didn't, Lincoln Square didn't originally start with that. That was actually a, a remnant from Old Redeemer that Went all the way back to uh, 9-11, we actually had a disaster relief fund, and through generous donors, over the years, people have contributed to that fund. We gave money out of that fund for, you know, Hurricane Sandy, uh, but we actually were able to start using it again uh, for COVID, and so I don't know if you guys know this, but it was through your generosity that we had over $190,000 given uh, to Redeemer Lincoln Square's disaster relief fund, and because of that, we've been able to in the past year, care for our congregants, care for people in our community, uh, people who are just our neighbors, but all people who were directly impacted by COVID-19. This money has been distributed by uh, a team of, of church officers and staff to provide the financial assistance for immediate needs, such as travel, groceries, medicines, rent relief, even counseling sp- uh, sponsorships. One of the 
small little mercies we've been able to do this year has been able to uh, offer to our local uh, healthcare uh, official, uh, sorry, healthcare workers by sponsoring counseling services and sessions and workshops for them for their own mental health uh, and well-being during the midst of the intense crisis uh, in their workplaces. So again, all that's happened because of your generosity. Uh, with significant funds left over, recognizing that the donor intention of the, of the funds were always to help congregants and neighbors, our elders uh, uh, selected Promised Land Covenant Church up in the Bronx, which I think a, cu- a couple weeks ago we kind of highlighted them. And what we did was we came alongside them to give financial assistance to their eviction and pre- prevention and rental, um, sorry, eviction prevention and rental assistance fund. That was their initiative in the Bronx. So 100% of, of the funds given went uh, to, the, uh, 100% of the funds given to PLCC came out of our disaster relief fund, and it was to help community members and families uh, of the Bronx remain off the streets and in their homes. So again, thank you for that. Uh, Many of you might recall that uh, I think the week or so that we actually highlighted uh, Promised Land Covenant Church, their worship space completely burned down, and so we took a special offering on that day. Uh, We opened up a fund for that, and actually just I wanted to let you guys know, to date, roughly about $50,000 was given to that, and I just called um, Michael Carrion, the pastor there, this past week and told them uh, that, that those funds are designated to aid them in rebuilding their worship space, and it was a, a beautiful time together. So, again, ultimately, we continue to be thankful and humbled by your generosity uh, throughout what's been really a roller coaster ride of a, of a, of a season. Uh, thank you for helping us extend God's grace, again, to our own congregants, to our neighbors, and to community members in need through the Disaster Relief Fund uh, and through this designated fund that we gave to uh, PLCC. We still have funds available. This is the last thing I wanted to say. If you are in need, we still have funds available. If you know somebody who needs it, please fill out the care request that's listed on our website, our mobile app. It's, on our, it's, uh, it's in the YouTube video description as well. A member of our diaconate will reach out with you, will help assess your situation, and give you help. And if you want to know, why am I telling you all this? Again, it's because it's been a crazy year, but we're still seeking to be a church where you're known, loved, and cared for, and for not just ourselves, but for our neighbors as well. So uh, we seek to be that, and if you would like to um, complete that online form, we'll be able to continue to help you. Okay, Uh, let's continue with our worship service. And and again, this is so exciting that we're in person. We're glad that you, uh, you can be here For those of you who are not able to be here or can't be here just yet, we're glad that you're Zooming in, uh, live streaming in through YouTube, um, and we're happy that you're worshiping with us as well. Over the past year, being distant from each other, uh, for at least for for me, but I know probably for you, I think a lot of times we we start forgetting what what it it once was like. We're forgetting, we've started to forget what does it mean to be human if you want to go to the, you know, Zoom all the way out. But essentially, we, we're, we forgot also, what does it mean? To, what do we believe in? Why do we believe it? And so our entire series, this, these past couple of weeks, looking at the life of David, we're trying to look at his humanity to see our humanity. We've been trying to uh, examine his life so we can see our own lives. And even though our text today is, was five short verses, thank you, Heather, for reading it for us. Uh, but for most of us, I, I doubt you read those five verses and were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, this just changes my life. But I want to push on you today for just a, a few moments. 
try, allow yourself to be affected by these verses. Because if you do, you could actually be transformed and changed forever by it. That's always the role of Scripture. Every word, every text in the Bible is meant to change you. And so we have to ask ourselves, how would this change us today? And to do that, we need to um, look at what's happening there. So here's what's happening. Three things. The definition of love, the distortion of love, and the transforming depiction of love. Okay, it's the definition of love. What is it? It's the distortion of love. What's broken? How does it break? And then lastly, the transforming depiction of love that we find in the text. Uh, First, the definition of love. Go into, into, your, into your phones. Look at verse 13. It says that David was in a cave. <laughs> if you look at David's life, he's often in the cave. Usually it was before he was a king. Most scholars, though, believe this was actually during his kingdom, even though people disagree about where in his reign it was. And so he's in a cave, and he's looking over the valley, looking at the, uh, the Philistines that are camped out in Bethlehem. So apparently they've been invaded, and this is, a big, this is a big deal for a few reasons. First, in verse 13, it says this is at harvest time, and I know a lot of us don't think in agrarian kind of ideas, but the fact that it's harvest time and be, they've been invaded by uh, these enemies means that they could very easily destroy the crops, and everybody would starve, and it would be devastating. That's the first thing that, that's problematic in the text. Secondly, though, they're in Bethlehem. And you have to do a little bit of, uh, you know, remembrance that David is from Bethlehem. That David is, this is his hometown. And so if this is where he grew up, if this is where his people are from, the people that he's closest to, now he's realizing, wait, they've been invaded. They are uh, being plundered. They're They're under siege. Worse, he can't go there to see his family and friends. Worse, he can't go eat his favorite foods that, he's pro- that he probably knows about or drink his, his, uh, the water from the well there. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but New York City uh, has the best water. It, I, 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 I mean, people, you know, have, don't realize, when they, when they move to town or when they leave town, they don't know what they're leaving or what they're coming to because we have great water here. It's why we have great bagels and pizza. Somebody crazy wrote last week that California was better with bagels and pizza, and I don't understand it, um, because it's the mineral composition of our water, it's the, it's the taste of our water that makes our foods, that makes things great here. Now, if you're from Florida, no offense, you don't have great water. Have any of you ever tasted water in Florida? It's not so good. They have other things that are good in Florida, I'm sure, and you can think back to home, and this is what I miss. But that's exactly what's happening to David here. He's like, oh, water from that well, that, from the gates of Bethlehem. Right, look at the text. That's, mm, that's good water. Man, I miss that water. What I would give to have a taste of that water. And I think what David is doing here is he's yearning for what he once had. He misses the life that he had, that he wishes that he could get back to. Man, that's some good water. Ooh, I really want that water. He's being nostalgic. Now, I don't know if you're looking at some parallels to your own life, but I, I, when I was reading the text, I saw this. How many of us are mourning over the past year 
about how life used to be. Oh, I miss getting to eat with my friends. I miss enjoying the waters of New York. I miss getting to eat out more often. Right? And, and so we ask ourselves, when, when will that life come back? When will it change? And I think what David is doing here, he's longing for normalcy. He's longing for the peace of home. Just like I think we're all longing for the same thing, the exact same thing. But go back to David for a second. He's in an, in an incredibly precarious spot because his country's been invaded. They all might starve. His hometown has been sacked, and he's literally standing in this cave looking out, watching all this with his mighty men. Uh, And that's when he utters these words. Now, let me give you a quick note about these mighty men. There was about 30 of them or so. These were individuals that were with David from the very beginning, and they were his elite troops. They kept him alive throughout his entire reign, and uh, they are the most unconditionally dedicated individuals to him. And then he utters these words, and so in verse 16 it says three of his mighty men essentially go on a suicide mission to, to get him this water. And, I, you know, when I first read it, I was like, well, they, surely there's only three of them. They probably secretively went into, uh, you know, try to, like, spies creep into the enemy camp. But that's not, that's not what it says. It says that they broke through the enemy lines. So they went in through the front door and did something incredibly risky to draw water from the well, and they came back. And so try to imagine the scene. They come back after doing this act of pure devotion, willing to sacrifice their lives just so that David could have a taste of normalcy. And I I, I was reflecting on this. The, The deed that they did didn't actually fix anything, did it? Right? It, did, it didn't improve David's circumstances. It wasn't a practical action. And so the, the question we should ask ourselves is, then what was the point? What was the point of what you did? And the answer is, it was an act of devotion. It was an act of love. Now, I, I hesitate using that word love, but I have to because that's exactly what's going on here. And the problem is, is the modern word for love that we have today, it has been overused. It's been used in so many different contexts, it's hard to even know what its meaning is. People talk about falling in love. They talk about falling out of love today, right? Like it's a vat that you can get in and out of. I've brought that up before. Um, But when you talk about falling in and out of love, that's part of a definition that our modern world is, is crafting. Another phrase I hear a lot of is love is love or love wins. And when you use the word love in that context, what you're saying is the definition of love essentially is, that, is how it affects me. That love is, is love means I'm attracted to you, you're attracted to me. That's all that really matters. That's that, that period, essentially, is what, is what that, that phrase is trying to mean. And so what matters is I want you, you want me, I desire you, you desire me. It's about the self. It's about the individual. But what's fascinating about, this, about the action that happens in this text is that it's the complete opposite. It's not my needs above yours. It's your needs above mine when these men broke through that line. See, in our culture, it's fulfill me. I want to be with you. That's about me. 
But the Bible's the opposite. It's I fulfill, I sacrifice, I give. Completely different. And I think this is why our culture, when somebody uses the, the word love, I tend to have to translate what they really mean by that. Because modern love is something that you can get in and out of. Modern love has a concept that it's, it's transitory. It's fleeting. It's, it, it's uh, something you can't fully even get your hand fully around and know what it really is. Which is very different than biblical love. See, biblical love gives. Biblical love sacrifices. Biblical love goes. Biblical love is committed. In fact, you could use that word almost synonymously, right? Go to John where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You could sub in the word committed. God was so committed to the world that he gave his only son. But you couldn't use the modern definition in there, right? Because what well, the modern definition would say this. God so loved the world well before he fell out of love with the world, then he might give his son. You see the difference? It, it doesn't work. It's all the difference in the world. So we have a definitional problem, but I think it's worse than that. The problem's not just the definition. Um, a couple weeks ago, I went to my brother's house and... Uh, to see my nephews and, and niece. And there was this moment when one of my daughters and my nephew jumped in my lap. And you know, after the year we've had, you know, some, some of these things just sort of pause. You, you get those moments where you just kind of want to capture the moment. And you can't really take a picture of it or anything, but you just know it's, it's a beautiful moment when you're just, you're literally snuggling with, with your nephew and your daughter. And it feels perfect, and yet the minute that happened, I don't know what it was, but as soon as they moved to snuggle and, and, and have love, I immediately invalidated their feelings of love that they were offering because this is what I thought to myself. It was a weird thought, but it, it immediately crossed my mind. I said to myself, of course they want to snuggle with me, right? I'm their dad. I'm their uncle. It's, it's not me that they want. It's the idea of me. Now, some of you are like, Mike, why'd you go all meta there? <laughs> you kind of overthought that a little bit. But, but what happened was, is I invalidated their love because I didn't want it just given. I wanted to earn it. I wanted to, to get it. I didn't want them just to give it. I wanted to get it. And so I think the problem is not just a different definition of love. is we don't actually even like the feeling of what real other-centered love is. Think about it. How hard is it to actually allow somebody else just to love you? I think we actually struggle with that a lot, right? To allow somebody else to go get the waters for you. This is, by the way, what I think Venmo is revealing to everybody. Venmo is an app where you can, like, split the bills and all the time. I think we, now, you're starting to see people, they, a coffee, a, a, a drink, uh, going out to eat. Everybody's like, I'll just, I'll just split, I'll, we'll split the check. Why? Because we don't like the idea that somebody else might actually give you something. It's, we're actually physically uncomfortable with it. It's hard, therefore, to, be, to allow somebody else to love you and not have to earn it. And so the question before we move on is this. What definition of love are you using right now? Are you living off of a modern definition of love? Have you actually even had this biblical definition of love in your life with the relationships around you? Do you actually ever do this other-centric love for other people? Or is it a tit for tat? I'll help you. You help me. Let's do an exchange. Other way around, do you let other people actually love you? Will you actually allow somebody, will you accept what they might want to give you? 
So I think we need to think about our definitions of love. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Now, secondly, the distortion of love. If the definition of love is to deny yourself for the interests of, uh, deny yourself for the interests of others. And the second thing we need to figure out here is what are the counterfeit versions of that? And we need to go back to the text because I think if you look in verse 16, David, after their act of valor, they show up here. And what does he do? He refuses to drink the water. And so when, you first, when I first read this, I'm like, no, why are you pouring out the water? It's going to taste so good. Why are you doing this? These men risked everything and you're throwing it away. And I think, again, the problem is we can't fathom how David might have thought about it. But he's not dishonoring them. Actually, what he's trying to do is he's trying to honor them. He's trying to say, this water is so precious. This is such a sign of devotion. He didn't feel like he was worthy to actually drink it. He's like, I can't drink it. And why? Because David realized... What they did, the act of devotion they had, the love that they had for him. If you define love as, as the, you know, this absolute loyalty and devotion, I think what David is saying is, I don't deserve that. I, you shouldn't give that to me. You shouldn't give me that absolute devotion. In fact, nobody deserves that kind of devotion. Unconditional devotion in this moment actually led to unwise and unnecessary risky behavior. Right, three of his 30 men, 10% of people could have died. And where would, he, where would he have been after that? And so before we move on, don't please, during the Q&R time, let's later on, please don't ask me, you know, well, how much love is too much love? Because I think the text is hinting, no, we're not saying for you to put yourself in abusive situations. No, we're not saying to let people continue to sin against you. So do this other-centric love. No, that's not, it's not loving to somebody to allow them to continue to do that to you. On the other hand, you can be devoted too much to someone or something. And so I think this is actually important, that when he pours out that water, what, what doesn't he do? He doesn't say, this is to my, you, my brothers. Right? I think there's actually, even in our traditions and cultures today, we, we have this idea of honoring people. We pour out uh, we pour out the, you know, this is for my brothers. He's not doing that. It says here, this is for the Lord in verse 16. In fact, just so that you, you uh, don't miss it, he says it again in verse 17. He invokes the name of the Lord again. David is saying that no human is worthy of your ultimate and unconditional and highest love except God himself. And I think this is, so I think the distortion of love is very simple here. Love is absolute, but you shouldn't absolutely love anything except for God. 
And so when David pours out that water, what he's saying is only God deserves this kind of devotion. Only he deserves that kind of sacrifice. And so here the, the, the very important kind of bracket I'm trying to create here. For some of you today, it's important for you to understand what the right definition of love is. You probably don't even know what that is, and you need to, you need to confront yourself. Do you love biblically? But for others of you, your commitment and devotion, you've thrown yourself into, you've started loving things too much. And you, that love is a, distorted, is, a, is a disordered and a distorted love. And when you do that, when you have an unordered or disordered or a distorted love, you know what that's called? Idolatry. Biblically, idolatry is always something created, right? It's a golden calf, and cows are good, and gold is good, but you, you shouldn't be bowing to that over God. For us today, most of us don't have little figurines anymore, but we have our own things that we have devoted ourselves to. Idolatry is devotion to the created that should only be deserved to the creator. And the way to know what those things are for you, it's a very simple formula. Ask yourself, what are the things that you're saying to yourself, saying, if I have that, if I could just get that thing, then I'll have meaning in my life. Then I'll have enough. Then I'll be okay. Whatever that is, that's the act. That is what you're, that is what you're worshiping. That is what is now your functional thing that you're bowing down to. And so, yes, I think you can love not enough, but you can also overlove, misplace your love, counterfeit love, things. And if, it, just to not, not put too fine a point on this, but most of our addictions are overloves, right? Alcoholism is overlove of alcohol. Jesus turned alcohol, you know, water into wine. Alcohol is not the problem in and of itself. It's the overlove of it. Money, the overlove of money is greed. The overlove of, of beauty is vanity. The overlove of relationships, right? What's that? It's a, can, obsession. Money, beauty, relationships, those are good things in and of themselves. But when you misplace them, that love is distorted. And so, before, again, before we're moving on, ask yourself, we have to ask ourselves, where are we overloving or underloving too much today? Right? What, what, and sometimes what I have to ask myself is, what do I daydream about? What do I, where does my heart go when I have free time? Or what am I throwing my, slamming myself into so much that I feel like I have to do? Because if I don't do it, that's that thing. Where are those things in your life? I can't do that work for you. You have to individually do that work for yourself. And ask yourself, what takes up our time and our focus that has become a disordered love? Because these men, these men love David, but it made them do something foolish because it wasn't worth it. What are the things that you're doing that's not worth it, that you're loving right now that's not worth your love? Uh, just, to get, just to do a little introspection myself, I think what the pandemic revealed to me is that I overloved comfort. I thought I was like, no, 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 no. But I, when those things were taken away, that was what my happiness was in. I actually, I overloved my job, right? When I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing, I, my job was clearly my identity. Uh, control. I desired control. I thought I was like, no, no, I don't mind. Whatever, do this, do that. No, when I, 
when I didn't have control, when I, when I felt like I was out of control, there was a lack of stability. Those overloves are misplacing what you and I should truly love. And so if I'm honest with you, I don't think you and I will just walk out today and say, today I'm going to stop overloving this, this, and this. The la- unless you get the last thing that we see here, the last thing we see here is the transforming depiction of love. David knew that this kind of devotion was not healthy for, for, for him, too. Right? I think as much as he wanted to drink that water, as much as he loved the idea that these men loved him, he knew that he needed to point their devotion on further. And he said, the Lord. He said, no, it's to the Lord. He pointed beyond himself. David then is a depiction, uh, an image meant to transform us because he's be- pointing beyond to one who truly deserves it. And what we know is thousands of years after David, there was actually one who didn't just risk his life, but poured out his life at the cost of his life. One who didn't just come to offer nice tasting water, but living water. When I read this text, I I couldn't help but to think, Jesus at the well with the, the woman in Samaria, right? He's like, I got living water. She goes, oh, I want that. He goes, great. Um, you know, go bring your husband. She goes, I don't have one. He goes, I know. You, the man you're with right now, you've had five husbands. The man you're with right now is not one of them. And she goes, what does it have to do with water? And he says, everything. Because you've overvalued your love of men. And it's keeping you from drinking from the fountain of living water. You know, men, love of men is fine. You know, Men are fine to love, but they can't be your main love, is what Jesus is saying. Only my water will stop your thirst. Only I have what you need. And so what Jesus is trying to say to us here is, I'm the captain of of not just any army. I'm the captain of your salvation. I'm not just king, just any king. I am king over all of creation. And so Jesus is the true and better David because he doesn't just honor you. What he does is he dies for you. Only he deserves the love and devotion that was originally given to David. And so the way for us to prevent idolatry in our lives from over-loving or under-loving, over-valuing or undervaluing the wrong things is to properly love and to properly devote ourselves to him. Now, if you're me, you know what the next thing you ask? The next thing you ask is, yeah, but how do I know that he deserves my love and how do I know he's not going to abuse that love? Many of us in this room have had our loves abused. How do we know he won't? And the answer is because he devoted and loved us first. Unconditionally, to the death, on the cross, where he thirsted, did he not? Where he gave up his lifeblood so that we could have water. See, like the mighty men, Jesus hears the need for water, and he goes and gets it for us, not through an opposing army, but through death itself. And he does this, not the risk of his lifeblood, right? He doesn't just pour out lifeblood like David does here. But he actually, it was his lifeblood so that we could have living water. Not just to taste, but to live. And that means, just looking at the text for myself, Jesus is the true David, but he's also the true mighty man. Because when he came, he didn't come as a king, he came as a servant. And that's why you know that you can trust him, because... He lost his life so that we could gain ours, devoting ourselves to him, sacrificing ourselves to him. 
he will never abuse that love. He'll never exploit that love. You don't have to hold his life, your life away from him. And when you love him first, it orders the other loves better. And now it becomes safe to love the things that we love. See, go back to the beginning, our thirst for normalcy, right? Everybody in this room, everybody that's streaming in right now, we just want things back the way that they are. That's what David wanted. He wanted just some harmony and some beauty and some restoration. But you know what? He thought if he had some physical water from a, from, from a, a, a well back at home, it would be enough. That's nostalgia. And only after these men went and brought it back did he realize, wait, this is never going to be enough. It will never be enough. The waters of New York will never be enough for you, friends. Only the Lord will satisfy only living to him will be enough. And so, friends, if you just this changes everything. This can be our anthem to go out into, this, into our, our city because if you biblically love him first and not other things, everything then becomes in its proper place. Kids would be a good thing, but they're not going to be salvific. Right? A job, you know, has meaning, but it's not your meaning. Comfort is nice, but not essential anymore. The city is, is not just something to consume, but to, to care for. Church is not some place you attend, but you can devote yourself to it. Love him first because he loved you first, and then all other loves become ordered. And just to give you a couple examples of this, right? You can't and won't overlove money if you love him first. You want to know why? Because you realize that even your ability to make money, that who gave you your mind, who gave you the context to even make your money, it's all because of him. And so now that he generously gave himself to you, you can now generously give out to others. Or people. You can't and you won't overlove people if you love him first because now people are not a means for approval and comfort. People are people to serve like you have been served by him. If you truly love him first, because of that, you can't overlove these other individuals. What if, and this is how I want to end, what if LSQ had ordered loves? What if we actually individually knew what was most important and we put prayer and we put Bible time with our Lord, we put, if we read our Bibles, if we prayed for our friends through 90 for 9, if, if we, a lot of us are new in the city, our, our statistics are showing there's a lot of people at LSQ, but we're disconnected now. We're not in community groups because how do we do that in a pandemic? What if we actually ordered our lives well? If we did, we'd become mighty men and women. We'd be devoted to him first. And you know what? If we did, then we'd be able to be devoted to the world. Fearless, energized, able to take on the hurt, slashing through the enemy lines. You know why? Because if you died... The only difference is that now you get to be closer to him. And if you lived, you'd bring the kingdom into fruition here in New York. If we don't get, if we don't understand this, I think we're, we're in bigger trouble. But if we did, if we made him our love, we'd be transformed by that commitment to you. Last thing to point out in the text, it says David longed in verse 15. And then it says that in verse 16, the people broke through. Jesus longed for you. And from before time he came, he says, I'm going to win them back. If you read about that, if you sit in that, if you let that inflame your heart, you will break through. Are you, are you ready? Are you ready to break through? 
order your loves, love him first, and as we love what he loves, we will break through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, these five verses are so simple, it's so easy to glance over them, and yet the depths of your love are contained in them. Father, I th- I f- we've, we've been swimming in the streams, we've been drinking from the waters of our culture that misses aspects of what biblical love really is. Father, some of us sit here and go, I don't know how to, how to do that well. I don't know how to love like that. Help us to see your love first, your, your undying devotion to us. How you've cut through the enemy lines of sin and death. You've gone before us, and so we can tackle the sin and death in our lives, around us, in our city. There's a lot of needs, Father, without easy answers. They're not going to be contained in a soundbite. They're not going to be able to be boiled down to a thought as much as we would like that. They're complex. They're intertwined. Race, class, uh, policies, actions, individual and systemic issues, all bound up together, Father, and we would be at a loss if we didn't know that you went first. Help us to devote ourselves to you, and it allows us then to devote ourselves to the world. We place things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.